0: And we join now by Narina Fisser, strategist and advisor at ETFSA. I want to start here with these uh, uh job cuts. Uh, let me just read a few messages uh, from our listeners. Tulani and Tema says, Anglo Ashanti's decision is a cause for concern as uh, workers uh, are the ones paying the price. Zuma has done a lot of harm and the ANC can't ignore these setbacks uh, for South African workers. And Zeta Zana says, 8,500 jobs to be cut by uh, Anglo Gold Ashanti. Um, Actually, it's 8,500 households that will be losing income More people on social grants is what this means So let's talk about that Uh, Not good news uh, news yesterday Uh, Talk of restructure that will result in potentially 8,500 job losses, Narina, And I've seen reports attributing this uh, uh, to the new proposed mining charter Is this really the case?
1: So, Tequila, now, I think that is a little bit opportunistic and and almost mischievous to to blame what is happening at Anglo Gold and, in fact, potentially happening at many of our other particularly gold mines. I think it's it's a bit of a stretch. Um, You know, this new mining charter is not even in place yet, and, and, in fact, Mm. it might very well never see the light of day. This is much more about the age of our gold mines and the escalating costs of keeping operations going in these old mines. So so let's just take a step back. So yes, uh, 8,500 job losses. Uh, we're looking at about 50% of the, the 28,000 workforce of Anglo Gold at South African operations. Um, it is a 60-day consultation process. So this is not something that has already happened, although um, many of the workers have received notice that this retrenchment process or the consultation process um, has started. And it's specifically relates to Angla Gold's Kopanung and then also the Savuka section of its Taitona um, mine um, you know and when you look at these two specific uh, mines and as I say many of the other older mines they've really reached the end of their economic life. These many of these mines have been going for several decades and uh, mine, these mines face systematic challenges um, to, to really be economically viable they've got declining output um, increasing depth and cost um, further and further away from where the main sort of production of the mines are happening. And it's all of these factors that are contributing to the cost escalations escalation and why we say they are not no longer economically viable. And what Anglo Gold is doing here is to say which of our operations really are the ones that are not viable and how do we ensure the sustainability of all the mines that we have. Because if you don't actually address the, the areas of your operations that are bleeding and are, um, are, are using up to too much cash, you run into a problem where the entire company will no longer be viable. So, um, you know, just to look at, at, at these two particular um, mines, so Tarthona is a bigger mine, so Rico is just a section of it, but they're cost-based. Um is sitting at $1,737 an ounce, and Kupanon at. 2,000, just about 2,400 dollars an ounce. So you can clearly hear that at the current levels of the gold prices, so these are making losses. And, and I do believe that from an economical, economic basis, it's very important that this is addressed. Of course there is a massive impact on, on the workers, on, on their families and so on. And, and I think rather than um, just demanding that, that these jobs must not be cut, um, industry really does need to get together, government, labour and industry, to say, how do we actually ensure the viability of these and make sure that we can absorb these workers in other areas of the industry or, in fact, the economy, rather than just demand, demand, demand.
0: Mm, interesting on that, and then yesterday in arena, there was also a march by local mining communities uh, business forum, and uh, they had to uh, wanted to hand over a memorandum to the JSE in and demanding more jobs so also this week, we heard that the JSE has amended its listing requirements in relation to compliance with broadbased Black economic empowerment Act. Are these two issues related at all?
1: So no, they're they obviously related from, from the perspective of a, a, how it relates to, to many of the industries in our country and companies listed on the JSE, but there's no direct relation between them. Um, so these are workers from mostly uh, mines in the Rustenburg and Limpopo areas, so clearly um, platinum mine related as well, and you know that um, we've, we've often said that with a platinum price sitting in the low 900s, many of our platinum mines also, much like like the gold mines also, are just not economically viable. Um, So, you know, to to, to demand employment, it comes back to that same factor also. I've seen even demand that some of the mines that they say were closed back in 2012, in other words, five years ago, that these must be reopened. Um, And I really think it's, it's um, either opportunistic or relatively short-sighted to think that um, it can make a difference in terms of economic viability if you just demand that these things be open. Um, unfortunately, I think so much of what we seen in this industry that is in, in a very, very difficult situation is that a lot of the demands focus on how, these, how the industry was 20, 30, 40 years ago, the wealth that was created, there, the, um, the extent to which it really created employment and provided employment in the country. We've got to focus on what the industry looks like today and, more importantly, what it will look like in future. We cannot be demanding on the basis of history. We've got to look towards the future in terms of, of, of what is required. But coming back to the to the um, amendment of its listing requirements, um, essentially what the JSE has done there is to say they add to their list listing requirements, um, the requirement for companies to provide more transparency on BEE compliance. So I think what we're looking at here is the JSE cannot force companies that are listed on its board to, to do certain things, you know, to introduce a certain number of, of um, share uh, uh, to change shareholding, for example, of these companies. But what they can certainly do and what they've done with this change in listing requirements is to, to demand more transparency in terms of what process and plan does the company have in place to address the requirements of of the um, especially on in, in terms of um, of its board composition um, and, and that sort of thing. And, this really is to provide more information for shareholders to say, am I comfortable with what this particular company is doing in this space um, and, and that will be my choice to invest in that company or not. So it's it's more of a of a providing information, a transparency requirement that we've got here to allow investors to make informed, more informed decisions because the JSE cannot actually force companies to change, neither in terms of the procurement or the way that they run the operations, but share can actually do that and this change at the jse is requiring more transparency from its listed companies
0: narina another sector in the news for all sorts of reasons is of course that of agriculture but between an outbreak of avian flu uh, record maize crops it's hard to get a clear outlook for the future of this economy and it's a very important one so <clears throat> what do you think lies ahead here
1: so this is an incredibly important sector and not just for South Africa but certainly for Africa which is often referred to as, a, as the as a farm or the, the, the um, food basket of the world. So the avian um, flu that we've got confirmed, it's, um, we've got more and more reports now that it breaking out in different places and that certainly is going to affect specifically the poultry industry in terms of this. Um, good to know that this is not a strain that, is, um, that affects humans, although the recommendation certainly is that um, if as a person you have dealt with an infected um, uh, bird that you actually do um, disinfect and so on. But it's not something that is dangerous to people. Um, but this certainly is going to, to hurt our industry that is already under some pressure. Um, but I think further than that is, uh, yes you're absolutely right we've got the, um, a record maize crop, you know, after the Nino inspired drought that we had um, last year. We are now looking at a harvest of fifteen point six million million tonnes of maize this season. Um, and and it's, it beats all previous records. And, and, and it's, it's actually just quite um, amazing to see this. And I think one of the best ways to, to measure this is to see that the white maize futures contract on the JSE um, has um, fallen and this is a, the futures contract for September. It's fallen 68% from its peak of almost 5,400 rand a ton which were, were, was last year January to close at 1,740 rand yesterday. So clearly that drop in massive drop in the price is going to be very good in terms of food prices, in terms of um, the follow through on on big staples, not just for for, um, um, people, but obviously also for where it is used for animal feed. Um, And, you know, really I think it presents an incredible opportunity for Africa. One of the interesting things I, I read just yesterday was that Africa annually spends 55 billion dollars on importing food, and yet it has 590 million hectares of uncultivated cropland, do you see the opportunity for Africa to actually make better use of what it has rather than not to have to spend $35 billion on importing food from other parts of the world? So for, for me, this is another example where we need to focus on the future and recognize these incredible opportunities that we've got there and make sure that we actually manage our economy for the future rather than for the past.
0: Well, that's where we'll leave it for today. Thank you so much, Narina. We'll chat again tomorrow. That's uh, Narina Fisser, Strategist and Advisor at ETFSA.